Hello and welcome to Wizard Studies. I'm Audrey. And I'm Katie. And today we are discussing the most uh, ominous and dark and nefarious of wizarding schools. Uh, Dermstrang Institute for Magic? Is that what it's called? I don't know. I wanted to call it the Durmstrang like Institute for Science or something. I feel like Institute <laughs> is always followed by like technology or science or Yeah, it just says Durmstrang Institute. Not the case. Um Durmstrang Institute for Science. <laughs> and <laughs> Durmstrang Institute of Technology, aka DIT. <laughs> <laughs> DIT. Um and also their headmaster for a time, Mr. Igor Karkaroff. Igor. I mean, <laughs> we might talk about this later, but like how, what led him to become a headmaster? Like what qualifications did he have? Yeah, I, I have some questions on that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> he, they, a lot of the like, uh, moat not motives, but the reasons behind like why he was even in England to be a Death Eater yeah. and why he became a Death Eater when like we know that Voldemort's rise to power was very focused in England and then why he went back to when why he went to Durmstrang why he would become a headmaster all of these things it's very unclear. Yeah. Well, I guess, like, to be fair, Durmstrang does, like, specialize in dark arts, so maybe he wanted to, like, go back to, like, raise his own army of sorts. Oh. I don't know that he's that smart. <laughs> but okay. Uh, so, our patron yeah, of the episode is Alex. Um, thank you so much for messaging us. Ha- Merry Christmas. I really appreciate that. That was so kind of you. I hope that you yourself had a great holidays. And a happy Christmas. Yeah, thank you, Alex. And as far as announcements, so this episode is coming out beginning of January. So we are recording this end of December, though, still 2021. Um, And so we have not yet seen the, what is it, Return to Hogwarts reunion thing? Yeah. That's dropping New Year's Day. Um. But maybe you have, as you are listening to this, in our next episode, just because of scheduling constraints, uh, (laughs) our next episode coming out mid-January, January January 18th, um, will be on that reunion and our thoughts on watching it and, you know, what people are saying about it. So if you watch it and you had any thoughts... Um, if you have questions about what we thought about it, send those in and we can just kind of make it like a mishmash of reviewing the reunion special. Yeah, I'm, I know we talked about this a lot in our Quirrell episode, but I'm very excited. They've released some more promos for it, so I think like we kind of have a better idea of what the format is going to be, so, like kind of what we assumed. I think the Golden Trio is together in one room and then it seems like some other people are like, I think there's like a solo shot of Helena, Helena Bonham Carter 
And then something I didn't know about, I guess, is that they're all kind of like walking back through the sets at Warner Brothers and feeling all of the feels and the nostalgia. Because I think, I mean, I doubt many of them have like gone back to tour the sets at Warner Brothers since they <laughs> stopped filming. So that should be really cute and exciting. And there is a, again, there's a 100% chance I will cry while watching this. So. <laughs> you probably won't be the only one. Yeah. So yeah, it should be a good one. Let yeah. us know what you think. Yeah. Um, so starting the episode, we're going to talk just a little bit about the history of Durmstrang, kind of its etymology, location, just everything we know about it, because there's not a whole lot. Um, Durmstrang is one of the three largest wizarding scrolls in Europe, along with Bobatons and Hogwarts, which... Like, I guess makes sense. Like, I don't know. I feel like Hogwarts wouldn't be as big as the other two, right? Because Hogwarts is, like, just the UK. Whereas, like... Whereas, like, the Bobatons yeah. one has to be, like, the whole rest of Eastern Europe. And then, You mean like, Western Europe? Yeah, sorry, Western Europe. And then Durmstrang is, like, the Eastern Europe. Side. Yeah, which like, like, don't really are know more where the populous countries. I wonder though if like the the wizarding community is concentrated differently than mm. like the way it's we think about populations. Like obviously we know that more people live in like the European continent than in Britain, but maybe like there's a higher concentration of wizards in Britain than like in I don't know, Germany, for example. So, like, yeah. there's not that many German students that have to go to Durmstrang. And there's not that many, like, I think Bobatons is mostly French students. So maybe there's, like, a concentration in France and a concentration in England. But not that many in, like, Spain or whatever. Yeah, and plus, like, um, something that's kind of always talked about with Ilvermorning is that, like, it doesn't make sense for the United States to just have one school mm. and Europe have three. But I think that's kind of been explained as, like, Overmorning is just, like, the one bigger school. There's, like, lots of, like, smaller ones throughout the country mm. that are just, like, aren't as, like, big and extensive as Overmorning. And so maybe, like, Hogwarts is, like, the only one in the UK, whereas, like, the continent has, like, some of those other, like, maybe there's an Italian school just for the Italian, which is in Wizards, that's a mm. little bit smaller, and so it doesn't rival yeah. Bobatons, Durmstrang, and Hogwarts. We are told that there's 11 schools yeah and so we know about the one in africa and presumably there's more than one in all of africa yeah we know about the one in japan but presumably there's like another one at least another one in asia because like asia has very large population like we know about the one in brazil Brazil. is it but presumably there's like so i don't know like it kind of just seems like there's not enough like in general so i think we maybe are just like overestimating the yeah the population yeah so maybe if there's only one in all of asia like three in europe is a lot you know yeah that is true yeah no other continents can have triwizard tournaments because there's just (laughs) one yeah (laughs) Uh, but anyways, 
So for the etymology of Durmstrang, it seems to be a spoonerism, which is a new word that Audrey and I both just learned. It's when you like mix up the first letters of two words. Like, for example, they believe that Durmstrang is a spoonerism for Sturm and Drang, which is like a German expression meaning yeah. turmoil or ferment. So you like flip the first syllable. Yeah. Like words. everybody's done it. It's always funny when people do it. <laughs> um, so I get apparently Strom und Drang is the name of a highly um a highly emotionally driven German artistic movement of the late seventeen hundreds, which was the precursor for romanticism. And so Strom und Drang literally translates as tempest and urge or change and rush. But mm. was in angelicized, angelicized angelicized as storm and stress. So it's like a pressure cooker, a crucible, that kind of thing. Like, mm. uh, yeah. <laughs> Stress that leads to change. <laughs> um, we know... I wouldn't say very little about where Durmstrang is located because, like, obviously we know very little kind of about where all of these schools are located. Um, but we do know it's in the northern part of the continent. There are two different sources that point to two different more specific locations the author has stated i guess in interview saying that she believes it to be in the northernmost part of like scandinavia of specifically norway and sweden so kind of like up near the arctic circle where the northern lights are very pretty <laughs> um but i guess some artwork on pottermore so like again just as canon as an interview would be with the author, or we can debate the canonicity can, can, of, <laughs> of different sources um, at a later date. But some maps show it to be in more of like Finland, Russia area and more southern. Um, so I think this is a good question for uh, Hold My Butterbeer Pod. Oh, yes. With their yes. levels of canon. I don't remember levels the levels of canon, of canon yeah. but. I Our wonder where maps on Pottermore and interview with the author, like what, which what is, is the, which is higher? Yeah, I don't know. I would be more inclined to. I don't know. That's so difficult because like okay. interviews, she interviews. She's like said some shit, you know, like that's what I'm saying. Like she spews a lot of shit in interviews. <laughs> but also, like Pottermore doesn't mean that she directly touched it, but it also means that like. It was probably reviewed, mm -hmm. took some time to make it, multiple people worked on it. It, like, seems a little bit more, like, concrete. Yeah. Yes. But I don't know. But also, like, part of me more... wants it to be in Sweden because of yes, our yes. connection to Sweden. <laughs> I would love it to be in, like, northern Norway or Sweden. So. And I like the idea of it being, like, as far north as possible. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Oh, so, well. Who knows? <laughs> so some little, a little bit of history. There is a writing on Durmstrang Institute on Pottermore, speaking of Pottermore. Um, so the school dates back to at least 1294, and I believe this date comes from, like, the number of Triwizard tournaments that have been held. 
Um, so yeah, but it was founded in the Middle Ages by a Bulgarian witch named Nurita Volkanova, who sir also served as the school's first headmistress. She was succeeded after her mysterious death by mm. Professor Harfgang Munter, who established Sturmstring's reputation for enter- emphasizing martial magic and dueling as part of their curriculum. So, Durmstrang was founded by a woman. Number one, we love that. And two, it was not founded on the principles of being, like, proficient in dark arts and combative magic. Mm-hmm. It seems to be that there was a coup, um, <laughs> and this Professor Harfgang Munter took over the school and made it what it is today. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's known for its proficiency in teachings and dark arts, and it doesn't allow muggle-borns to attend. Crumb stated that, I think, during the Yule Ball, when he was talking with Hermione, or, yeah, something like that. Um, It doesn't allow muggle-borns, but there are girls. It is a co-ed school. There are girls, yes, yes. (laughs) There are. It was founded by a woman, so I sure hope that women would be allowed to attend. Um, (laughs) But yeah, women do attend Durmstrang, contrary to the movie. And we'll actually talk to a, well, talk to, we'll talk about another movieism that I totally forgot about. Not that I've ever forgotten that women attend Durmstrang, but with Karkaroff. I was, like, doing my notes in the wiki, and I was like, oh, my gosh, the wiki doesn't have this. And then I thought about it, and I remembered that Igor is not involved in this. Anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Durmstrang, like Hogwarts, is a castle, and it has sprawling grounds that are surrounded by lakes and mountains, which could maybe lend more credence to the Finland-Russia argument because it does specifically say on the map that it's near a lake. Mm-hmm. Um, so, who knows? Again, who knows? Um, but we do know that specifically Victor Crumb is Bulgarian. So we do know that, like, it encompasses Bulgaria in its reach. Yeah. And presumably, like, anyone that wants to attend. Like, because Malfoy could have gone there. Like, it's not like it's restricted. Whereas with Hogwarts, it appears that, like, only British and Irish kids can go there um so maybe Durmstrang is more of like a private school model than a public school model yeah maybe not that we know how Hogwarts gets its funding to <laughs> but <laughs> yeah so that's like the little that we know about Durmstrang as a school and its history yeah, so Katie touched a bit on the, like, reputation for the dark arts and martial magic. So, like you said, Durmstrang was notorious for kind of accepting, promoting, and teaching the dark arts rather than defense against the dark arts. Um, and I have always kind of thought about this, and I think it's interesting in what teaching the dark arts entails. Um, so the question is, like, was it things like unforgivable curses and martial magic, like you mentioned the second headmaster brought on, um, like dark curses and things like that? Or was it like seriously dark like topics, um, like horcruxes came to mind? 
and whether or not like a student like Crum who has graduated Durmstrang would have been able to like <laughs> better understand and explain Horcruxes uh, to Harry than like or like than Harry would have and like Horcruxes became part of Harry's education because of the like necessity for it but no one even like older wizards don't really know what horcruxes are like within the british community um like they maybe have heard of them but it appears that like only someone like slughorn who's very like you know interested in the dark arts um or dumbledore who's very like learned and knowledgeable would know more of the details of horcruxes and i wonder if that like topics like that are included in teaching the dark arts um I don't know. There's no real way to know. Um, we also know that Malfoy Sr. was interested in sending Draco to Durmstrang because of the teaching of the dark arts and the respect for the dark arts that, like, the school promotes. Um, of course, a lot of their reputation is tied to Grindelwald's attendance of the school, um, but he was actually also expelled from Durmstrang. And we're told by... Rita Skeeter, that he was ex expelled for, quote, twisted experiments on other students. So I think it's implied that these acts had to be, like, particularly bad to get expelled from Durmstrang. Um, maybe there's, like, I feel like it's implied that there's, like, a higher bar to get expelled from Durmstrang than there would be to get expelled from a different wizarding school. Um, but... We don't necessarily know that it's true because we are also told in that Pottermore writing that the shaping of this Durmstrang reputation is largely due to that second headmaster, Harfang, Munter, um, Grindelwald going to Durmstrang, and uh, Karkaroff. And those are all things that happened like very far apart, right? So the second headmaster was like in the Middle Ages and he shaped this reputation. And then it seems like there wasn't anybody really like causing this dark arts um infatuation until like Grindelwald came around 600 years later and then another 100 years later Karkaroff like kind of reignited that um nefarious reputation uh so it's unclear whether like at Grindelwald's time things were actually worse there or like just him going there is what contributed to this um so potentially it was things that, like, weren't terrible, terrible, terrible. But were just, like, one terrible. <laughs> <laughs> what do we uh, think they were? I know. That's what I was wondering. So, like... Because this is before he's met Dumbledore. Dumbledore. He, he goes to Godric's Hall after. So it but can't have he anything was, to do with, like... Well, he, he was already uh, interested in the Deathly Hallows. Yeah, but it can't have anything to do... I was everywhere. thinking of... Whatever the fuck Iriana is, what is it? Oh, Obscurus. Yes. Obscurial. Yes, yes. Yeah, so I wonder, really though, if it has something to do with, like, Inferi. Yeah, because he always was interested in an army of Inferi. Yeah. Um, I don't know. But then you think about, like... And I know that, like, Tom Riddle, like, got away with it. No one believed he did this, where it seems like Grindelwald was more, like, out spoken and owned the fact that he was like tormenting other children but like tom riddle killed somebody 
Yeah. And, like, he didn't even get expelled. Obviously, Hagrid got expelled for it. <laughs> but. I don't know. I I think we, like, don't have any idea of, like, what could be. Like, we just don't have the knowledge of dark magic. Yeah. I'm trying to think if we could, like, um, like, deduce anything from what he ends up doing, you know? Mm. But, like, know. what does he even end up doing, you know? Like, yeah, that's true. And there weren't muggle-borns there for him to, like, We have to, to watch like, Secrets torture. of Dumbledore to find out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think Inferi's, like, the only educated yeah. guess we can make. But yeah, that would like, require the killing. don't have anything to do with, like, torturing people. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. torturing people won't bring you any closer to Hallows. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if he was, like, thinking of a way to, like, create Inferi. And then he was like, it seems like the Resurrection Stone is the best way to do it. And that, like, you well, know. That did was he know about the Hallows before going to Godric's Hollow? Yeah, it's implied that that's, like, kind of why he oh, wanted why to he go went, there. Because of the Peverils. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Interesting. Um, so Katie kind of already went over this, the heads of Dermstrang that we know of. Again, there's Nerida, 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 Vol- Volcanova, um, who suffered a mysterious death. And she was followed by Harfang Munter. He was a wizard of, quote, dubious allegiance or nefarious intent, having stressed the importance of dueling in all forms of martial magic. So that it was the start of it. And then Igor Karkaroff, we know, um, was in charge of Durmstrang from sometime after 1981, which was when he was, uh, like, first arrested for being a Death Eater. Until 1995, when he fled after the return of Voldemort. And then, the only students we really know of, for sure, Grindelwald and Victor Crumb. Um, and also, maybe Karkaroff? Like, it's weird, we don't know for sure whether or not he intended Durmstrang. Um, it's heavily implied that he did, because why would he go back and teach there? Yeah. Um, and he did... Like, we we don't know where he's from. I'll talk about this later, but implied that he's from somewhere in Eastern Europe, so that would be the closest school that we know of. Um, but we're never told outright Karkaroff went to Durmstrang. And he does at one point, when he, like, returned, when they come to Hogwarts um, for the Shire Wizard Tournament, he says, like, dear old Hogwarts, which implies that he's been there before, not that, like... It doesn't necessarily mean that he intended Hogwarts, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe he was like an exchange student at Hogwarts for a couple years, and that's why he like got caught up with the Death Eaters. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Hmm. Anyway, so we'll transition this episode into the more Igor Karkaroff focused part. So, his name is Igor Karkaroff. Um, Igor is a Slavic name derived from the Scandinavian name Ingvar, meaning protected by Ing. Um, and Ing is the Norse goddess of fertility. 
Um, Igor is also a stock character of horror literature and films, usually acting as the servant to the villain. So, like, a lot of times, like, I think maybe in Frankenstein, like, Igor is, like, the assistant, and it's just kind of, like, a trope in films or literature now. Um, Karkar is a name which is common among Kipchaks, which is a... Turkic tribe, which inhibited today's Kazakhstan during 10 to 12 C? I don't know what that means. Okay. <laughs> um, it's a common name among a Turkic tribe. Is tribe. it the 10th to 12th century? Oh, maybe, yeah. It? But it doesn't... It's oh, the second yeah. bullet point. It doesn't have, like... Yeah. After the... <laughs> Anyways. Um, and then off is a possessive suffix, meaning son of. Um, so in Slavic nang- languages, turning a given name into a surname. Um, kind of like in Iceland, you know how everybody is just like father's name, daughter, or father's name, son. I think yeah. it's kind of like um, like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it's attached to non-Slavic names, it's part of russification russification policies in the former ussr so like a running joke but also is like kind of accurate a lot of like russian people's names end in off but mm-hmm. normally in russian it's like and it's not off it's ov mm. um kark also means unsettled in turkish oh karkrof is an alternate name for the Karcharuth, well, Karcharoth, um, which is the werewolf in J.R.R. Tolkien's The Somerillion, um, and that translates to the Red Maw. Mm. The Somerillion is like um, a companion book, or slash like many books, to J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings trilogy. This is like if J.K. Rowling would would have written a Silmarillion like a couple years ago like I would have wanted nothing else it's like the it's like the entire like history of the universe that the um that Lord of the Rings takes place in just like it's it's like a history textbook for that universe it has like songs that would have been like in the universe like poems it would have had like it just it's just like addition, all the additional information that any like fan of a fantasy series could want. Mm. So, anyways, that is the etymology of Igor Kargrov. And I was hoping that the etymology could kind of like point us in a direction for like where Igor is from. Yeah. Because I feel like I've always just assumed Russian with a name like mm-hmm. Igor, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's unclear. Yeah. I feel like it's also just kind of like a, like, the etymology is not super helpful. I feel like it just leads me to believe that the author just, like, chose this name because it sounds kind of cool and it sounds Eastern European. Like. Yeah. Um. The, the actor who plays Igor is from Serbia. Mm. So. And I don't know enough about, like. Eastern European dialects to like 
know if he's doing a Serbian accent or you're like putting on an accent yeah for a different place so sorry Albus Albus uh so his birthday all we know is that it had to be 1964 or earlier presumably like quite a bit earlier than that because he seems like he's in like you know he's past middle age or around middle age um in the 90s so i would guess that he was born maybe in the 20s or 30s like he's in his 60s or 70s by then based on like wizards aging maybe even older um but that 1964 as the latest possible date um is because he had to have been of age by 1981 which is like the first uh the first knowledge we have of like anything in his life basically um, he died sometime in the summer of, oh, that's a big range. Sorry, it's I a both range. of those dates yeah. in 1996. So he disappears at the end of a Goblet of Fire, and mm-hmm. we never hear from him again until they find his dead body the next summer. So the summer in between Order of the Phoenix and Half-Blood Prince. Yeah. Um, and that's confirmed in the paper, like... I'll talk about this later, but they find his dead body then. It's unclear how long he had been dead at that point, um, but we do know that there is like some speculation like Lord Voldemort had bigger fish to fry yeah. between those times. Um, so looking for Karkaroff maybe wasn't his number one objective and priority. So, yeah. I think there's also, like, a mention of, like, it's kind of surprising how long he yes. lasted. And some people point to that and they're like, oh, like, you know, Karkaroff, what, for the coward he was or whatever, he was pretty good at hiding himself or he was a pretty good wizard. Um, but that also could imply, like, what you said, that just, like, Baltimore had bigger things going on and he knew he would, like, kill him and make him pay eventually. Yeah, it's also, like, the dark mark is found over wherever his dead body is. Mm -hmm. And so we do know that, like, it had to have happened post-Order of the Phoenix then, I guess. Yeah. Because they wouldn't be putting up, like, Voldemort was still in hiding for Mm -hmm. the whole book of Order of the Phoenix. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's also kind of suggested online that, like, he didn't want to kill Karkaroff until after he was out of hiding because it could be, like, a big tip-off that he was actually back. Um, yeah. And he wasn't trying to be super obvious about it at that point. So maybe towards the... I would probably be more inclined to think, like, summer, like, post-end of Order of the Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah. Like, actually, the time frame between Order of the Phoenix and Half-Blood Prince um, would be my best guess. Right. Um, so more on what we were talking about earlier. With his home country. Um, so, like we said, most likely somewhere in Eastern Europe, Russia, Bulgaria. Based on his name, he's likely from a Slavic country. Um, which may have been either Russia Russia or Bulgaria, where surnames with the off suffix are most likely found, most commonly found. Um, and like I talked about earlier, it's implied he attended Durmstrang, but not confirmed. And this just like, I, Katie will probably talk about this in a section later, but just further probes my questions of like, how did he end up involved with the Death Eaters and Voldemort? Like, was he a 
in Eastern Europe and he heard of this and he like came to the scene? Like, did he have ties to England somehow? Like, what brought him um, into this circle? Like, I don't know. It's, it, it's very confusing. And it's not explained at all. And he's kind of like the only Death Eater we know of with having like roots outside of England. Um, and it just, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> yes, it sounds... We could have this conversation later. So we do know his, the only... So we do know he's a Death Eater, but his only paid occupation that we know that he has, maybe one that he gets insurance from, <laughs> um, is being headmaster of Durmstrang. And then his loyalties, quote-unquote, lie to Voldemort and the Death Eaters for a time, but those aren't very strong loyalties, yeah. as we'll come to learn. And, of course, Durmstrang. And he does seem to have a very deep connection to Durmstrang and wants, uh, like, Crumb to bring glory to the school in the Triwizard Tournament. Yes. So, for his first mention, it comes in Goblet of Fire, Chapter 15, Bobatons and Durmstrang. But the man who was leading them up to the castle was wearing furs of a different sort, sleek and silver, like his hair. In the movies, his hair's not silver. <laughs> Dumbledore, he called heartily as he walked up the slope. How are you, my dear fellow? How are you? Blooming, thank you, Professor Karkaroff, Dumbledore replied. Karkaroff had a fruity, unctuous voice where he stepped into the light, pouring from the front doors of the castle They when he stepped into the light, sorry. They saw he was tall and thin like Dumbledore, but his hair white but his white hair was short, and his goatee, finishing in a small curl, did not entirely hide his rather weak chin. When he reached Dumbledore he shook hands with both of his own. Dear old Hogwarts, he said, looking up at the castle and smiling, his teeth were rather yellow, and Harry noticed that his smile did not extend to his eyes, which remained cold and shrewd. How good it is to be here, how good. Victor, come along into the warmth. You don't mind, Dumbledore. Victor has a slight head cold. Hmm. So the appearance is different. Yeah. Like, in the movie, he has a goatee, but his hair is not white in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. His teeth are yellow and gross in the movie, so. <laughs> um, I also just thought of something else with, like, probably, like, can make us feel even more confident that he went to Durmstrang, is that, like, the, his, like, Durmstrang doesn't seem like a school that would let someone be the headmaster if they hadn't gone there, um, yeah. with Karkaroff's, like, vigilance towards the secrecy of it. Like, yeah. I don't think you could just kind of, like, stroll up to Durmstrang and be like, yo... I went to Hogwarts, make me your headmaster. <laughs> yeah. He also does say how good it is to be here. Not yeah, like how good it is back. to be here again or you're, yeah, or back. Yeah. Okay. So, as you might imagine, with most of the villains and not even, like, Karkaroth, like, isn't even really a villain. He's just, like, not a great person like he is a villain and that he like is was a death eater but like he just like doesn't have a lot of redeeming qualities um and therefore his Myers-Briggs was a little difficult 
Um, I did end up giving him ISTP the Virtuoso, which actually is the same as Harry, Charlie Weasley, and Crumb. Um, and I really couldn't find much to fit him in any of the personality types, but I think that there, there, are, there are a few descriptors that hit on, like, the things we know about Karkaroff's personality, um, with, like, his betrayal of the Death Eaters and, like, self-surviving and, I don't know, just how he seems to carry himself. Um, so, virtuosos love to explore with their hands and their eyes, touching and examining the world around them with cool rationalism and spirited curiosity. People with this personality type are natural makers, moving from project to project, building the useful and the super, superfluous superfluous for the fun of it, and learning from their environment as they go. Um, I didn't know if, like, teaching the dark arts was some sort of, like, you know, material, hands-on thing, as opposed to teaching, like, how to defend against those things, um, or just teaching the theory of it. Uh, while their mechanical tendencies can make them appear simple at a glance, virtuosos are actually quite enigmatic, friendly but very private, calm but suddenly spontaneous, extremely curious but unable to stay focused on formal studies. Virtuoso personalities can be a challenge to predict, even by their friends and loved ones. They can seem very loyal and steady for a while, but they tend to build up a store of impulsive energy that explodes without warning, taking their interests in bold new directions. Um, I thought enigmatic was kind of a good role, word for his role in Goblet because he does have that sort of mystery around him. We are supposed to be suspicious of him and he kind of like lends to that mystery with the way he withholds information and has secretive conversations. Whereas like there's nothing super mysterious going on. Like he's just worried about his own well-being. Um, I touched on being like friendly but very private and I think the friendliness um, we see in his conversations with Dumbledore, like the first mention that Katie just read, like he's often very like cordial and kind of like feigns a friendship. And then we know that he's like super private about Durmstrang and doesn't like, doesn't provide a lot of personal information, even though he is like quote unquote personable in his interactions with people. Um, He's not focused on, quote, formal studies, but he does seem to be a fairly talented wizard, as this description kind of hints at. And obviously the loyalty bit stood out to me because, like, can seem loyal. Um, we don't really know, like, what he did to win his loyalties within the Death Eaters, but, like, obviously you have to kind of, like, prove some sort of loyalty to become a Death Eater. Like, he does have the dark, the, the dark mark. Um, but... He obviously was not in the end loyal to, to Voldemort and or his fellow Death Eaters. And like often, like I feel like we kind of just see his, he is only loyal to himself. Like as I'm saying this, I'm realizing we didn't put in like a, a what Hogwarts house would Karkaroff be. But I feel like it's really obvious because like he's so much about self-preservation. I think he just has to be a Slytherin. Um. I don't, definitely not a Gryffindor because we're told straight up that he isn't brave. Definitely not a Hufflepuff. You could maybe argue Ravenclaw, but like, I don't, I don't see anything but like self-preservation Slytherin. I don't know if you agree on that. No, I definitely do. I mean, like, I hate the trope of just like, you know, 
Or I don't hate it. Well, like, I do. But, yeah. you know, like, the bad characters. Just like, oh, yeah. they're in Slytherin. But, like, it does make sense. I feel like I, whenever we do, like, sorting of characters who are, quote, like, evil, I, like, grasp at any straw to make them anything but yeah. Slytherin. But, like, with this one, I just think that that, like, I don't know. I just think that self-preservation is, like, more than anything. It's not just, like, oh, he's evil, he's a blood supremacist, he's a Slytherin. It's, oh, he only cares about himself, he's a Slytherin. Yeah, yeah. Love you, Slytherins. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, Virtuoso's decisions stem from a sense of practical realism, and at their heart is a strong sense of direct fairness, a do-unto-others attitude, which really helps to explain many of their puzzling traits. Instead of being overly cautious, though, avoiding stepping on others' toes in order to have their to avoid having their toes stepped on, virtuosos are likely to go too far, accepting likewise retaliation, good or bad, as fair play. So I thought this was interesting because it's like, it's like all's fair in love and war. Like he knows that he is going to face retaliation for what he does and he like accepts that, but he does, and that like doesn't, it doesn't stop him from acting poorly. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, it's, like, the reverse of what you would think of someone that believes in, like, fairness or, like, fairness between two competing people or two competing forces. Like, you would think, like, oh, they're going to retaliate and they would be in the right to retaliate, so I'm not going to wrong them in the first place. But he's like, I'm going to wrong them in the first place and they will try to retaliate and that'll be fine. I'll just try to avoid it. Like, so he was not at all cautious about turning in his fellow Death Eaters um, and sending tons of people to ask him and as we hear serious talk about and that like I think he just like did that knowing it would make a lot of enemies and he just like hoped he would never have to face the enemies but he knew that it was a possibility and then he like knew that that punishment was coming later in life when Voldemort started to come back and the Death Eaters started to re-enter society and gather again he expected that and he didn't face it, but he just didn't, he didn't try to, like, get his way out of the punishment, you know, like, he didn't try to claim that he didn't betray everyone, he just made a run for it. <laughs> yeah. Um. Owning up for your actions, you know? Yeah. I admire that. <laughs> People with a virtuoso personality type struggle with boundaries and guidelines, preferring the freedom to move about and color outside the lines if they need to. I think this just, like, I get the general sense that he, like, operates on his own. He didn't feel a lot of loyalty to Voldemort. He didn't feel a lot of loyalty to his fellow Death Eaters. Um, Durmstrang itself is kind of isolated and doesn't... It does partake in the Triwizard Tournament, but doesn't really seem to partake in the, like, magical cooperation part of it. Um, He's more of a lone wolf kind of guy. For strengths, we have optimistic and energetic, creative and practical, spontaneous and rational, know how to prioritize, great in a crisis, and relaxed. Um, I guess that he prioritized his own well-being over, like, <laughs> taking care of his students. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Spontaneous and rational is, like, very interesting because I feel like a lot of times those things can be, like, presented as opposites. Yeah, also creative and practical. Like, I think there's a lot of dichotomy in this personality type. And I don't know if that's, like, kind of how he presents as, like, this 
friendly, sort of friendly guy with a Dumbledore versus how he really is. Yeah, I don't know. Interesting. As far as weaknesses, we have stubborn, insensitive, private and reserved. That was a big one. Easily bored, dislike commitment. That was another big one. (laughs) And risky behavior, which obviously making enemies of all of the Death Eaters was a risky choice. Yeah, so my question to you is, so we haven't done our Harry episode, so this is not your type for Harry. This is the prevailing type on the internet. Yes. How do you feel about this for Harry? I know you weren't, like, obviously reading for Harry, but... So I've curated a lot of, uh, like, the the passages I've picked out, you know, like these, this isn't the yes, whole yes. passages. Um, but just looking at the strengths and weaknesses, cause that's like, that's everything. Yeah. Yeah. I really don't see Harry in a lot of those, especially the strength. Strengths great in a crisis. Yeah. That was the, really the only one I feel like. Weaknesses. I do think Harry's stubborn. Yeah. I do think he definitely has a risky behavior. <laughs> And I would say he's easily bored, which leads him to risky behavior. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's private about some things. He's private within his circle. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think he's really insensitive. No, I don't think so. I think like, that this personality type with Harry... A lot about this personality type is focused on, like... And this is, I think, why I gave it to Charlie, knowing so little about Charlie. It's focused on, like, a work work with your hands kind of thing. Mm. Um, like, take things upon yourself. And yeah. I do think that fits on, like, Harry's, like, learning style and his action style. Um, but, I don't know. I, whenever we do a Harry episode... I think it'll be, in some ways, it'll be, it'll be easier to fit him into personality types. Whereas, like, when we don't have a lot of information about a character, it's impossible to fit them into any, right? Whereas, like, when you do have a lot of information, it's, like, impossible to fit them into just one. Yeah, that's why my next question was going to be, is it generally harder to type characters like Karkaroff or characters like Harry and Hermione and Ron? Where we know just, like, so much about them that... Obviously, I've I've been more frustrated and done more of the less information characters, right? Yeah. Um, So I feel like those ones annoy me more. Especially because, like, less people talk about them on the internet. Yeah. Um, But I think it maybe is harder to feel as confident with a Harry or Hermione. Because you're like, well... These they fit this one super well, but also there's this whole other side of them that fits this one super well, and I think yeah. that's like the nature of personality types, right? Yeah, I mean so. they're written so that like pretty much anybody could see themselves in that personality type, right? <clears throat> All right, so moving on to his Death Eater days. So as we've kind of been talking, we know virtually nothing about. Cargraph in general, but about his time before the first Wizarding World, like, we know nothing about him. Um, and that kind of bleeds into his Death Eater days. Um, 
So we do know he was a Death Eater during the first Wizarding War. We Again, we don't know how he got to England, how he became a Death Eater. I'm kind of under the assumption that, like, he, like, heard rumblings about this and was like, this is my time. Like, this <laughs> is... Like, this is what I'm meant to do. Like, I got to, like, I've got to go. That that was kind of the assumption that I've always made, is that, like, he came to the UK mm-hmm. after he heard rumblings. And, like, this could have been very early, too, because I feel like he's got to be, like, he's involved with, like, seedy characters, the dark arts. <laughs> like, he might have, like, you like know, a- heard rumblings <laughs> of this before. I'm imagining, like, the back of, a, like, a, a pub or bar or something. Yeah. And someone's, like you know, like, dark magic is on the rise in Britain. He's like, all right, word. That's my next avenue. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of always the assumption that that I have made, at least. Um, But there's no evidence to back that up, really. Um, Yeah, but we do know that he was... He wasn't, like, a Death Eater posted in eastern europe like we do know that he was in the united kingdom with the other death eaters um we don't know he was an acquaintance of severus snape they knew each other through the death eater connection um and he reportedly i believe this is what he was like eventually captured and put in azkaban for is that he helped dalhoff torture muggles during the war um and then was eventually captured by moody and put into azkaban While in Azkaban, he was very desperate to get out. He was like, this life ain't it anymore. Like, this is not for me. Um, So he decided to start to offer up names in return to be set free. A lot of the names that he offered up weren't good. He offered Severus Snape. He offered, I think, what were some of the other ones? He didn't offer... Lucius Malfoy? I think he offered up Lucius Malfoy. In the movie, he's the one who offers up Barty Coach Jr., but he is not in the book. Yeah, that's what I was talking about earlier. I was, like, looking at this. Oh, sorry. I was zoning out. No, no, it's okay. Um, Like, he doesn't, this doesn't say he offered up, like, Crouch. Like, why would they not include that? And then I was going back, and I was like, oh, no. Crouch is brought up in the books, like, in a completely different memory. Like yeah. He has already been caught in the yeah. books. Yeah. Coach was caught at he's the scene trial. in the books. Yeah. 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 Whereas, like, in the movie, I guess so that they only have to show one memory, they kind of, like, twist how that happens. Yeah. Batty Crouch. Um. But he eventually offers up Augustus Rockwood, which was somebody that they did not know about and was, like, working in the ministry at the time. So they're like, all right, we'll look into this. Like, go back to yourself. And this is all what we see in the memory in Goblet of Fire. Then afterwards, we hear, like, Harry asks Sirius about Karkaroff because Sirius is, like, the number one Karkaroff truther in the book. Like, he is the (laughs) one who is, like... He is the one who did everything. He's the one who put, like, your name in the Goblet of Fire. Like, watch out for Karkaroff. He's, like, the mastermind behind all of this. So he was talking about Karkaroff with Harry and had said, like, the quote is, put a load of other people into Azkaban in his place. So this implies that, like, Karkaroff ended up having more than just Augustus Rockwood to offer up. Like, much 
more good information to get yeah. out of Azkaban. And I would guess that, like, in order to get out of Azkaban for, you know, like, good evidence of you being a Death Eater, like, you would have to give up many names. Like, not just... Many credible names that they didn't already know. Like, not just Augustus Rookwood. Like, I don't yeah. think that's enough. Yeah. Um, but so he does eventually get out of Azkaban and he heads back to Northern Europe and becomes headmaster of the Dormstrang. For whatever reason. Um, but I think I want to have a conversation here because I don't think there's like really another good place to do it. How do we feel about Karkaroth as the red herring in Goblet of Fire? Like, obviously, we've talked about many times that we don't remember, like, first read-throughs of books. But, like, how successful of a red herring do we believe Karkaroth was? Because, like, that is his purpose. Like, we talk about, like, the logistics of him being from Eastern Europe but is still a Death Eater. Like, the reason... That is, is so that he can be this red herring. Like, he has nefarious connections. We see the memory, like, to, like, further bolster this idea, right? Mm-hmm. Like, his only purpose in the plot is to be this red herring. Yeah, I think, um, I, I feel like on first reading, it's very... I think the good thing about the use of him as a red herring is that on first reading, you believe it. But on, like, subsequent readings, you, like, you understand why these things are happening. Um, It's kind of like, I don't know, Goblet of Fire is just so jam-packed with clues at, like, Barty Couch Jr., you know? And, like, I think, uh, like... I guess this is more to the party coaching or clue, but like when he, as Moody says, like if there's nothing I hate more than a death eater that walked about walked free, yeah. off and like, you know, we know that like both Moody and junior hate death eaters that walk free for different reasons. I guess this is off topic. I think he serves the purpose on the first read through. I don't, I feel like I imagined buying it and I think they do like a good enough job in the movie. Good in quotes. Um, leading you to believe it's him. But I think you're always like... It's too obvious, right? Right, you're going to doubt it because if... It's weird because like, it's like, oh, if you've read the books and you know the style of like the big reveal at the end, you know that that's not going to be the whole truth or probably not the truth at all. But... uh, Obviously, for it to be a red herring you haven't read the books you know what I mean yeah Yeah. no I think that like definitely first read it's like it's so obvious that it makes a good red herring because like you do believe it Mm -hmm. like because there's kind of the opposite problem that red herrings can maybe have is that like you don't believe the red herring Mm -hmm. because it's not enough whereas like this almost has like the opposite problem it's like almost too obvious that it's a red herring because it's so obvious that he's involved somehow right and like granted like he is still a death eater like that's not part of the red herring like he was a death eater he was a bad guy yeah right which also kind of like helps serve it be a believable red herring but it's just like if you go back and only read like scenes that Karkaroff 
are in. Like, I haven't done this, so I don't know 100%, but, like, we know that he is, like, talking to Snape multiple times about, like, his dark mark yeah. and how, like, he's yeah. feeling something and, like, something is happening and something's coming back. Like, just every scene that he's in is to show us that, like, he was a Death Eater, he's connected to Voldemort, he's a bad guy, and, like, you know, and so, Sirius like, it does that job. That. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I think it does the job with the support of the fact that the junior reveal is so, like, it's obvious once you go back and look, but it's yeah. so tightly secured and crafted. Yeah. And, like, you never think it would be moody. So yeah. I think Karkaroff is semi-believable because the actual villain is, like, concealed so well. Yeah, yeah, that's also a good point. Um, speaking of Karkaroff in the movie and how he has this red herring, we've talked about this. It, prob- it must have been our Gobble to Fire movie episode, but the scene where they show him, like, going into, like, the Gobble to Fire room. Yeah. And how they, they, like, there's absolutely no point to that. Like, he doesn't actually do anything. Like, we know at the end of the day he's not the one that put Harry's name in the Gobble to Fire. So what was he doing? And so I think that's, like, where the a red herring fails in the movie, right? If you can go back and be like, like they just showed us that to, to intentionally, intentionally trick us. us. Yeah. yeah. And like, I think that's a bad red herring. Whereas in the book, I don't think anything like that actually happens. Everything like, is excusable. Like we said, yeah. like he is still a death beater. Like all of these things still point to him being a bad guy. And that is still true. Yeah. No, so. I agree. <sighs> All right, so Karkaroff as headmaster. Um, Like Katie said, we really have no idea how he got there, what drew him to this, why they gave him the position. Hopefully the, like, board of governors or whatever the equivalent is at Durmstrang, like, didn't know that he had been sent to Azkaban when they, like, put him in charge of children, but I don't know that I have that much trust in them. But, you know, like, I wonder if he could just, like, flee to his home and, like, that information doesn't follow him, you know? Like, I don't know that there's, like... I don't know how well the information circulates. I don't know if, like, the British Ministry of Magic would have been, like, by the way, Bulgarian Ministry of Magic, this guy, like, has a record. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, for torturing people. <laughs> um, I guess, like, maybe they're like, well, he tortured muggles, and we don't have those here, so yeah. we're good. <laughs> yeah. So, we do know that, like, the revival, in air quotes, of Durmstrang as this, like, again, in air quotes, evil school occurred <laughs> under his leadership, and it's unclear, like, he he might have brought back the teaching of the dark arts or like re-emphasized it. Um, we don't know if this was like continuously taught throughout Durmstrang's history or only under these times of like iffy leaders. Um, so he kind of brought back more of that darkness to the school. And he was also like, he was not well accepted for that. He was seen as, like, quote, unprincipled and egotistical by students and parents. And actually, many parents did, like, remove their students from the school because Karkaroff encouraged this culture of fear and intimidation. And so I think that's important to note that, like, not, as we see with Crumb, like, not everyone who went to Durmstrang was evil. Like, not all the parents were Death Eaters like Lucius Malfoy who wanted their 
sons to be educated in the dark arts. Like, I think probably the majority of Durmstrang is just, like, a normal student body um, that gets kind of caught up in the ways of a few bad actors. And so, I mean, he was seen as bad, like, for the dark arts stuff, but also just, like, for being a bad person, you know? Like, he, he encouraged, like this bad culture within his school, um, of fear and intimidation. We also see, like, his (laughs) clear preference towards Crumb over his own students and also over the other champions. Like, he does not participate in the Charwizard Tournament in the spirit of magical cooperation and in the spirit of, like, the tournament. Um, As we see, like, Madame Maxine, like, does give Harry, like, some good scores when he deserves it. Um, and Dumbledore seems to be fairer in his judging, but Karkaroff is super biased. He always scores Crom like a perfect 10, even when that's not the case. Um, and he, along with Maxime, was pissed when Harry's name was drawn and the Sada's unfair. And he, like, we know participated in the cheating and, like, gave Crom information. Um, whereas Maxime also did that, but Dumbledore did not on his own. Other people did it. Um, and as far as like his bias towards Crum within his like student body, he always wanted Crum as the school's champion. We see in his first mention, he's giving preferential treatment to Crum. Um, and he like does not pay any attention to the other students. I think at one point, like someone's like, one of them is he gives Crum something and one of them's like, Oh yeah, I'd like that too. And he's like, go away. You're an idiot. Like Yeah, I think it's like something about like mold wine. Yeah. Like he like offers Crumb some and Crumb's like, no thank you. And the other one's like, I'll take that. He's like, fuck you. Yeah. So he's not <laughs> good at not showing favorites. I think it's interesting that his like doting on Crumb, it's so just attached to the reputation and like he loves the way that that appears because we know that like Crumb, his personal values don't align with Kargaroff's and Crumb does not like, reciprocate the, uh, relationship with Karkaroff. Um, Crumb also talks about how he doesn't help them steer the ship at all anyway. Once he's, like, fled, they're like, oh, it's fine. Like, we do all the work. Um, and Crumb appears, like, indifferent or bordering on happy that Karkaroff is gone at the end. Like, he doesn't seem to care, if anything. He's happy to be rid of him. Um, so, in conclusion... He was not a very good headmaster. Uh, certainly well below the likes of Dumbledore and Madame Maxime. Uh, so, but I don't think we ever, like, had delusions that he went to that for his love of, like, teaching and, and students yeah. and anything. So I think it was, like, probably a safe job where he could go hide away, gain some power, gain some influence, practice his dark arts, like... I'm sure it was a nice, cushy life for him following his Azkaban stint. Yes, yes. Um, So for the Where They Now section, we've pretty much talked about all of this already. We know that he was found dead in a shack up north, um, killed by Death Eaters. The Dark Mark was over the shack. Um, He was found in the late summer of 1996, like mid to late summer of 1996. So... We've already talked about my speculation that he probably died closer to the time of being found as opposed to closer to the time that he disappeared. Um, 
And like Audrey mentioned, Lupin mentioned that he was surprised that he had lived as long as he did. Um, but like we've already talked about, there may be some uh, other reasons besides his ability to conceal himself that himself that he lived as long as he did. Yeah. Uh, I don't have my cocktail book, so. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I think there is one, but maybe I'll give it on the next episode. <laughs> um. So. Wrapping up this episode, the pop quiz is who was the weakest slash most incompetent slash worst Death Eater? Yeah, so Leia responded to us on Facebook and said she thinks Karkaroff is pretty incompetent. And two people liked that, Morgan and Lisa, (laughs) so I assume they agree. Obviously, I chose this question for this episode, so that was kind of where my mind was going. Um, But I figure... Karkaroff is up there. Um, people would say Wormtail is up there probably because he's like not very good at magic, but he is. He does play a major role in the Return of the Dark Lord, so I don't think we can give him that title. Um, yeah, I think that I could make a case for maybe most incompetent Death Eater yeah. than Wormtail, but maybe not like weakest or worst. Yeah. Like, he's just always kind of, like, the punching bag of the Death Eaters. Right. Like, he literally just becomes, like, Voldemort's servant in the last book. Right. And so... Like, not even so much of a Death Eater. I think, like, weakest as far as, like, uh, <laughs> strength of character and standing by your principles, whatever they are, mm-hmm. Karkaroff probably shows up. Um, the two other Death Eaters we see with Betrayal... I think you can argue are not weak, those being Snape and Regulus Black, or incompetent, because both of their betrayals are way more effective to Voldemort's downfall than Karkaroff's betrayal. So, like, maybe they're the worst at being Death Eaters in that they did the most harm to the Death Eaters, (laughs) but I think Karkaroff is, like, the most incompetent because I think even in his, like, betrayal he didn't harm them that much and like him not being a death eater wasn't like a major loss to the cause you know like Snape turning out to not be a death eater was a major loss to the cause and that like they were not nearly as strong as they thought they were they put their like a person in power who was actively working against them yeah so I guess it has to be Karkaroff um or some unnamed death eater I guess like maybe (laughs) like Crabber Goyle yeah i was gonna say like i feel like draco could maybe be a running for Mm. like the most incompetent just because like he's the youngest (laughs) like i don't know like has had the least experience with magic yeah Yeah. i don't know yeah definitely like the the names that come to mind are like karkroff peter pettigrew draco yeah i don't know if i can think of any other ones yeah I mean, Lucius, like, you should maybe say is incompetent because he doesn't get the memory and ends up in Azkaban and, like, ends up, like, his actions lead to Voldemort being revealed to the public. That's, like, pretty bad. And he gives away the Horcrux. Yeah. He directs. And he runs away in the final battle. Like, okay, maybe it's Lucius. Yeah, wait, I might call (laughs) Lucius because, like, okay, his, his choice, his his just being stupid led to the destruction of a horcrux. Yeah. Whereas, like, you can't really 
blame Bellatrix for the destruction of the Horcrux that was in her possession. Yeah. yeah. Um, he, 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 it was his house that like the trio escaped from, right? Like yeah. they were sort of yeah. under his charge, uh, when like they, that could have been the end of things. He runs away from the final battle. He, yeah, makes it so Voldemort is seen at the ministry. He gets a bunch of people arrested then. Yeah, I think it might go Lucius because I think he yeah. did more harm to I think the cause we just made than the cost for Lucius, right? Yeah. Like Karkaroff, he definitely like, did more harm. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, it's Lucius Malfoy. <laughs> Verdict is in <laughs> guilty. Let us know if you agree. Yeah. Huh. I would have never thought about that. I was just like going through the list of like name death mm-hmm. eaters, and I was like, wait. <laughs> yeah oh he gets caught at the the uh world cup the quidditch world cup he does yeah and Voldemort was not happy about that stunt to begin with yeah okay um all right right. so uh some new news on my plug for reviews um is that podcast reviews are now active on spotify so even if you've already done your duty to us and posted a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts, you can now do the same on Spotify. I think you do have to, like, listen to a couple of episodes first. Like, it won't let me do it because I've never listened to our podcast on Spotify. But I think probably if you just, like, play a couple episodes, if that's not your preferred platform for podcasts, you can then leave an episode, uh, leave a review for us. And that would be super helpful because right now it just says we have no rating at all. Um, yeah i don't know if it's just a rating of stars or if you leave an actual review but we'd appreciate the support and if you haven't done that on apple music either you can do that there as well that's all i got for you yeah so i've posted on instagram since the last time we spoke (laughs) so go check that out at wizard studies podcast um you can uh, find us on Facebook as, as Wizard Studies Podcast as well. Twitter, we're Wizard Studies. You can join our Facebook group at Wizard Studies Podcast Group. And you can support us on Patreon. Um, we're just Wizard Studies Podcast on Patreon.com. All right. Oh, and if you're, think, if you're on, like, if you're deciding, if you're on the fence about becoming a patron, Audrey and I have, like, a pretty fun giveaway planned for patrons exclusively um and the odds will be much better becoming a patron for this giveaway Uh, we're gonna do like i think we decided two things for patrons and maybe one on instagram open to Mm -hmm. everybody so if you really want to up your odds for winning a giveaway once we announce that go become a patron yeah all right as always thank you so much for listening and remember just do your best we'll do the rest and learn until our brains all rot.